Volume Three, Chapter Ten of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume Three, Chapter Ten celestina in retiring to her own room had hoped to recall her scattered and oppressed spirits and clearly recollect all that had befallen her but the angry the disdainful look which that countenance wore where she had been accustomed to see only the smiles of approbation or the tenderly anxious looks of love was the image still most prevalent in her mind joined to the painful idea of the ruined constitution of him whose life was ever dearer to her than her own the cruelty of his being in london of his going into public without ever having seen or wrote to her sunk deeply into her heart ah willoughby exclaimed she is it thus we meet again after such a parting is this the end of all your assurances that you would ever be my friend that you would learn to consider me as your sister if we were indeed related alas is it thus then you throw me off entirely and seem sorry to remember that you ever saw me a flood of tears followed this cruel reflection but after weeping some time her pride came to her relief she remembered the haughty neglect with which lady molyneux had treated her and doubted not but that her influence with willoughby had prevailed on him to expel her for ever from that place in his regard with the very reasons on which he resigned her as his wife ought to give her as a defenceless and unhappy orphan dependent on his family she recollected now but too well the reserve and disdain the look of mingled anger and scorn which willoughby's features spoke as she saw him the second time leading out his sister her mind dwelt on the expression of his eyes as they first met hers when though he must have seen how much she was surprised and affected by the sight of him he flew from her without one consoling word though it was evident she could hardly support herself all is over then cried she that tender friendship which would have been the consolation of my life is at an end every tie that from our infancy united us is broken and i have now no reliance but on the kindness of those who are comparatively strangers ah it is generous thus to discard me without even trying to soften the blow but go cruel capricious man go and enjoy with your opulent heiress all the affluence can give go and become callous and insensible to all those noble sentiments that once animated your bosom 
which once rendered you so deservedly dear to me they are gone willoughby selfish cruel unfeeling and insolent is not the willoughby to whom my heart was devoted why therefore should i be thus wretched about him why let his proud malignant sister triumph in knowing that i am mortified and unhappy let me try to drive his too painful remembrance from me or at least to remember him only as a son of my beloved benefactress at the mention of that revered name however all her newly acquired resolution forsook her the memory of her tender her first friend was so intimately connected with that of willoughby himself that her tears flowed for both and against the unkindness of the latter neither neither her pride nor her reason could sustain her a sleepless night succeeded to this conflicting evening and it was not till towards morning that celestina determined to write to willoughby entreating him still to allow her that place in his friendship which no fault of hers had she thought forfeited and assured him that whatever might be her destiny her regard for him was unchangeable though she would never intrude upon him with it her tenderness conquered her resentment and the idea of what she owed to the son of her early friend whatever might be his conduct towards her came in aid of that long-rooted tenderness and produced the resolution which she meant to execute in the morning having thus determined her mind gradually became more tranquil and her spirits being quite exhausted she sunk into slumber but but the fainter through still painful ideas of the evening before pursued her and after tormenting her with numberless wild terrors she fancied that she saw willoughby with the same menacing look he wore the preceding night with a dagger in his hand approaching and threatening her to plunge it into a heart which was he said perfidious and ungrateful and had been the means of driving him to guilt and despair from an image of such horror she wildly started and awakening found lady horatia howard sitting by her bedside holding one of her hands and gazing on her with great concern with the most soothing voice she spoke to celestina and endeavored to quiet the excessive agitation of her spirits her reasonable and gentle arguments had their desired effect and celestina ashamed of appearing insensible to the solicitude of such a friend summoned all her resolution to her aid and was able in about an hour to attend the breakfast-table with something like composure her cheeks however had still that crimson glow which the perturbed state of her mind had given them her eyes were heavy with tears which in despite of all her efforts continued to fill them when the image of willoughby pale and thin with anger flashing from his eyes and contempt trembling on his lips 
again arose in her imagination lady Horatia looked at her with more than her usual tender complacency for it was when her fine open countenance expressed pensive sorrow that she was from her then particularly resembling the regretted brother of lady Horatia, to her more than usually interesting before the breakfast-table was removed montague thorogood was introduced he was extremely dejected and hardly able to return the compliments of lady Horatia, who was always glad to see him and who had undoubtedly given him all her interest with celestina and more encouragement to pursue his suit than was perhaps strictly prudent since celestina though she could not avoid him thought she never could prevail upon herself to behave to him with unkindness and though his talents and conversation and perhaps that sort of respect idiolatry by which few women can help being gratified however they may wish to repress it were in some degree pleasing to her had yet repeatedly declared to lady Horatia and to montague thoroughgood himself that she felt not and was persuaded she never could feel for him that tender preference without which she would never marry this declaration they both imputed to that affection for willoughby which the uncertainty of her own situation continued to nourish persuaded as they both were that willoughby had promised to become the husband of miss fitzhaman which everybody but celestina had long believed lady Horatia doubted not but that the merit and attachment of montague thoroughgood the similarity of their taste celestina's regard for his father and the easy competence which with him she could possess and which she often declared was the condition of life she would prefer would altogether induce her to reward his ardent affection with her hand as soon as it became certain that willoughby either from interested motives or from conviction of their too near relationship absolutely and forever relinquished all pretensions to it she was therefore glad that the accidental meeting which had so much affected celestina was likely to hasten this period and far from seeing it in the unfavorable light thoroughgood himself did she told him as soon as celestina left the room that for him no circumstance could be more favorable lady Horatia had long since transferred entirely to montague thoroughgood those good wishes which she had first expressed towards vassiver his great fortune his handsome figure and his apparent affection for celestina had for some time interested her for him and she imputed his extravagant vivacity and even his violent irregularities to his youth and unchecked habits of gratification before her vassifer had at first so far restrained the intemperate sallies of his 
ungovernable temper that she was for some time disposed to think well of his heart and his understanding but soon finding that this semblance of moderation availed him not and that he gained nothing on the inflexible heart of celestina he became tired of it and relapsed into such a wild way of talking and of boasting actions still wilder that lady horatia was no longer able to excuse him and though she still received him at her house with civility she entirely approved of the resolution celestina had made never to listen to him as a lover it was just at that period that montague thoroughgood who on celestina's first arrival in town had not availed himself of the permission he had obtained to see her came to solicit lady horatia that indulgence and accounted for his absence by relating a long illness his father had just escaped in which as mrs thoroughgood was absent with one of her daughters he had himself been only and constant attendant you know said he to celestina how much i love my father and how well he deserves that i should love him and you will easily imagine what must have been my anxiety when for so many nights and days i saw him experience the most excruciating tortures and knew his life to be in the most imminent danger even the reigning the triumphant passion of my heart my love my adoration of celestina was suspended in the pain and solicitude i suffered for my father his looks which were greatly changed since celestina saw him before witnessed how severe this pain and solicitude had been and celestina not only forgave but esteemed him the more for that neglect which had at first given her a slight degree of mortification from that time he had constantly visited at the house of lady horatia and from his power of amusing her by reading and conversation he was become so great a favorite that he had no rival in her good opinion but celestina herself it was at her request he had met them at oxford and gone with them to bath and bristol celestina who saw but too plainly that all this was but feeding a passion already fatal to the repose of a young man whom she highly esteemed had in vain remonstrated with lady horatia on the subject who answered that her present was that her presence was a sufficient protection and that as to his love he would not indulge it in the less for feeling being he would not indulge it the less for being refused the opportunity of speaking of it to this doctrine celestina could not assent but in her situation to different was of little effect and all she could do to counteract the effects of this indiscreet indulgence of lady horatia towards montague thoroughgood was to 
declare him very solemnly whenever he introduced the subject of his love which was whenever they were alone that through her esteem and regard for him was very great she could never think of him otherwise than as her friend and when he answered that content with that esteem and regard he should be the happiest of mankind to be permitted by time and tenderness to win her love she very frankly assured him that the sentiments which were once hers for willoughby though towards him they might be at an end could never she was well assured be transferred to another montague thoroughgood however young sanguine and violently in love was not easily discouraged while the favour of lady horotia the wishes of his father and the complacency and kindness with which notwithstanding her repeated declarations celestina treated him all contributed to cherish a passion which insensibly absorbed his whole soul every action every sentiment every look of celestina at once increased and justified this excessive passion and he lived now only to think of her when he was absent or gaze on her with adoration when she was present whenever he knew she was to be at any public place information which he was very assiduous and very successful in obtaining thither he went also and though unless he was invited he never introduced himself into the parties she was with he contrived so to place himself as to be able to see her and was content the extreme dejection with which he had on the last morning entered the house of lady horotia all fled before her assurances that the meeting between willoughby and celestina however she might for a little time be affected by it would prove an advantage to him elated more than ever by hope he left lady horotia having obtained leave to meet them at the opera whither they were going that evening but with poor celestina it was very different hope had now wholly forsaken her yet she still clung even to despair when it gave her an excuse for dwelling on the beloved and regretted name of willoughby she took out of her dressing-box a locket which his hair was interwoven with that of his mother and of his sister and which she had been used when a child to wear round her neck she looked at it a moment and remembered a thousand circumstances that brought the tears again into her eyes she kissed it she put it to her heart and that soft heart melting as the tender images this slight memorial presented to it the resentment which her pride had made her feel the evening before was forgotten while unable to bear the thoughts of having seen the last of willoughby of his having taken an accidental but eternal leave of her with anger and scorn she determined instantly to execute her purpose formed the evening before and with trembling and uncertain hand wrote as follows do not think 
dear willoughby that the unfortunate celestina means to intrade upon you with her complaints or to trouble you after the present moment even with her name but when those recollections which she cannot all at once subdue press upon her heart she finds it impossible quite impossible to submit to take of you an internal farewell without entreating that thought we never meet again we may part in peace with each other i might indeed urge to you willoughby that if the account you gave me of our supposed relationship be realized it ought not to excite your anger but to give me a claim to your protection if my heart did not i know not why revolt from the idea of being so near your relation i might on that score claim your protection and your pity i might be permitted surely to love you as my brother since alas whether you permit it or no i must still love you but with an affection so disinterested and pure that be my situation in regard to you what it may i feel nothing for which i ought to blush you look very ill willoughby you look unhappy and on me you look unkindly i do not ask to see you since my accidentally meeting you was evidently painful to you but i ask to have a few lines from you to tell me that you are not ill that you are not unhappy and that your once loved celestina is not become hateful to you believe me i shall rejoice in your happiness wherever found do not then refuse to assist me in obtaining not happiness for that is nowhere to be found for me but in obtaining that degree of content and resignation which may enable me to go through life without regretting the hour that i ever received it this willoughby is in your power and you must be greatly changed indeed if you refuse when you can so easily grant the last request that ever will be preferred to you by the unhappy but ever grateful and affectionate celestina de moray park street grosvenor square march twenty third seventeen hundred though by no means satisfied with her letter when she finished it she despaired of pleasing herself better she therefore sealed and sent it away by one of the footmen to the house of lady molyneux as she knew no other dress to willoughby the servant returned in about half an hour and told her that mr willoughby was not there but that he had sent in the letter and received but that he had sent in the letter and received a message that it should be taken care of and delivered to him she had flattered herself that if not a kind at least an immediate answer would put an end to the almost insupportable state of anxiety which she had been in ever since she saw him if he wrote to her with kindness it would she thought soothe and console her if he treated her by letter with as much coldness and disdain as he did during their short interview she hoped that resentment would support her and that through her pride might be wounded 
her affection would torment her less she was now however to wait perhaps a whole day in anxiety and what was more dreadful be compelled to sustain this anxiety under the appearance of calmness if not of cheerfulness for lady horatia who had made an engagement with some of her friends to go to the opera whither she seldom went herself on purpose to gratify celestina by hearing a new and celebrated performer did not seem at all disposed to relish the proposal she had ventured to hint at breakfast of being left out of the party of the evening and though she was generally very desirous that celestina should in all matters follow her own inclinations yet there were times when she seemed to expect some sacrifices to be made to her her grateful heart was extremely sensible of all the kindness of lady horatia who from having taken into her protection quite a stranger was now so attached to her that her happiness seemed her first object having no very strong affection for her only surviving brother who was a man immersed in politics and without pretense to natural affection and having been torn early in life from a man she loved and married by her father to one towards whom she was indifferent having since followed her three children who alone had reconciled her to her lot to their early graves her heart had been insensible to what are commonly called friendships and she had for some years rather sought to amuse than to connect herself but the graces of celestina's mind the sweetness of her disposition and the goodness of her heart had won upon her that the apathy of wearied sensibility which she had so long been in gradually gave place to an affection almost as tender as she could have felt had she been her mother and this affection created by merit was strengthened by the resemblance which continually struck her between celestina and her younger brother who lost his life in america the loss which among all her misfortunes she most severely lamented her increasing tenderness for celestina made her often reflect with uneasiness on her situation and very earnestly wished to see her married she was very sensible that her own life was not a good one for early calamity had shaken her constitution and brought on in the early autumn of her days the infirmities of old age and she knew that after having taken her as her daughter and accustomed her to share all the indulgencies which her own rank and income procured it would be a very painful reverse of fortune were she to leave her in the narrow circumstances in which she found her to save much of her jointure had never been her wish and was hardly now in her power her own fortune in default of children returned to her brother and all she had to dispose of was about two thousand pounds this she gave by a will made in the fourth month of their being together to celestina and with this 
and what she before had, she thought that Celestina might, if married to Montague Thurgood, enjoy through life that easy competence which was the utmost of her ambition. The embarrassed circumstances of Willoughby, which the good-natured world had always exaggerated, and which Lady Horatia had considered as irretrievable, his very expensive place at Alvinstone, which she knew it required a large fortune to keep up, the doubtful birth of Celestina, whom she always fancied too nearly related to him, and some prejudice against him, merely because he was the brother of Lady Molyneux, whom she so very much disliked, all combined to raise in the mind of Lady Horatia a desire to impede every step towards the reunion of Celestina and Willoughby, and to promote her alliance with Montague Thurgood, near whose residence, wherever it was, she proposed to take a house in summer, and to have them frequently with her in winter at her house in town. Though she had not disclosed all her intentions, Celestina yet knew enough to be deeply sensible of the uncommon generosity of her friend, and the whole study of her life was to shrew that she was so. She made it a rule never to oppose the wishes of Lady Horatia, whenever they were clearly expressed, and therefore it was that she had often, contrary to her own judgment and her own inclinations, suffered the acidities of Montague Thurgood, and seemed to the world to give him that encouragement, the ill effects of which she endeavoured to counteract, by ingeniously declaring to him the impossibility her ever making the return he expected to his affection. Too certain that Lady Horatia would be disappointed, if not displeased, if she declined this evening to go out, and not having courage to tell her the step she had taken in regard to writing to Willoughby, she was compelled to struggle with her uneasiness and to attempt concealing if she could not conquer it. But every rap at the door which seemed to be that of a servant made her tremble, and while sitting at work before dinner she could not help going to the window several times, nor listening to every sound that she heard in the hall. Time wore away, and her impatience increased, and at length grew so evident that Lady Horatia remarked at it. "'What is the matter, my dear?' inquired she. "'Do you expect any one?' Celestina, conscious that she was betraying herself, and fearing least she should be blamed for what she had done, of which she began already to repent as too humiliating, blushed at this question so deeply that had not Lady Horatia been intent at the moment on her work, her suspicions must have been heightened. Celestina, however, not immediately answering, she repeated her question, "'Do you expect anybody?' Twenty reasons might have been given for her seeming anxiety, and twenty people might have been named as likely to call, but not one of all those occurred to Celestina. But not one of all these occurred to Celestina, 
who was little practised in dissimulation she therefore answered faintly no and in hopes of turning lady hiroshi's attention from her and of hiding what she felt she proposed finishing the perusal of a poem which montague thurgood had begun reading the preceding morning do so said lady hiroshi celestina took up the book and began but had no idea of what she was about and of course read so extremely ill and so unlike her usual manner that lady hiroshia looking at her very earnestly said surely celestina surely something is the matter no indeed madame replied she nothing except perhaps some slight remains of nervous agitation from the circumstances of last night try my dear to conquer that replied lady hiroshia and think of regaining the composure you possessed before which such a circumstance fairly considered ought not to destroy celestina sighed and to avoid the necessity of giving an answer went on with the book before her she had hardly however read ten lines when a servant brought in a letter and gave it to her she turned paler than death as she took it and the book fell from her hands lady hiroshia whose attention was now fixed upon her eagerly asked from whom the letter was celestina had by this time read it for it was only a note from a young friend for whose painting she had promised to give some pattern she put it down it was only from miss clayton madame said she about the patterns i am drawing for her dear child cried lady hiroshia and is all this trembling and anxiety this faltering and solicitude about miss clayton's patterns celestina i am afraid you are not ingenious with me surely i deserve that you should be so celestina felt that this accusation of want of confidence and the claim made to it was equally just the measure she had adopted at the risk of displeasing her best friend had produced nothing but some hours of anguish and would end probably in the conviction that willoughby despised and condemned her for it was now five o'clock and it was very improbable that he should not in all the hours that had intervened since she wrote have been at his lodgings or have had time to acknowledge the receipt of her letter this mortifying reflection and the consciousness that she ought to have consulted lady hiroshia quite overwhelmed her she was pale and silent a moment and then recovering her voice with difficulty said i believe i have acted so foolishly so improperly that i dare hope you will forgive me lady hiroshia expressed her uneasiness and surprise celestina in a tremendous voice told her what she had done pity rather than anger was created by the recital certainly my dear child said lady hiroshia had you consulted me i should have advised you against writing to mr willoughby situated as you both are no advances should have come from you if he is convinced that you are so related to him 
as to make every thought of you beyond such as that relationship authorizes guilty and odious he should surely on his coming to england have sent to you if he was unwilling to see you and have behaved with humanity and brotherly tenderness though love were forever out of the question if he is not convinced of it how will you account for his conduct but by supposing that influenced by pecuniary motives or by caprice his desirous of forgetting all his former affection for you and yet has not that generous openness of character which would urge him to quit you handsomely to the truth of these remarks celestina had nothing to object but their justice cruelly depressed her and her sick heart recoiled from the idea of being obliged to appear in public again she ventured very gently to insinuate a wish to be left at home that evening if you are really ill you shall said lady horosha but otherwise i hope you will go i am not really ill replied celestina if your ladyship means only bodily suffering but my spirits my mind for the maladies of those interrupted lady horosha there is no remedy more sure than change of scene and variety of amusement and believe me dear celestina believe me and i have suffered much from the maladies of the mind they only grow by indulgence if we would conquer we must contend with and not encourage them you will suffer much less to-night if you are in a circle of friends who love and admire you than in brooding at home over the defection of one who if he ever did certainly does not deserve you i beg therefore that you will go celestina unaccustomed to dispute any wish of her friend yielded with as good a grace as she could to her remonstrances and with a heavy and aching heart went to finish her dress the hour of going out arrived and celestina found montague thorogood and mr and a mr howard in relation to lady horotia's ready to attend them as there was no escape she endeavored to assume the semblance of tranquillity and to talk with them on indifferent matters but the idea that willoughby had left london without seeing her or being still in it disdained to answer her letter and utterly refused to notice her hung so heavy on her heart that she could with difficulty support herself while the protracted state in which she had been since the preceding evening occasioned such ferment in her blood that her cheeks were of feverish crimson and the languid lustre of her fine eyes never appeared to greater advantage deep sighs which she tried in vain to suppress stole from her heart and mr howard rallied her upon them with a sort of commonplace wit which is so unusual and so irksome where there is real uneasiness to contend with while montague thorogood answered every sigh of hers 
by one yet deeper of his own and watched every turn of her countenance with trembling solicitude lady horatia was to join another party at the opera and celestina was in hopes that by obtaining a seat in one of the last rows in the box she should be excused from the task of seeming to give any attention either to the performance or the people around her this therefore she contrived to do and montague thoroughgood placed herself by her her thoughts were engrossed wholly by willoughby and the cruelty of his refusing to answer her letter she saw not the objects about her she attended not to the humble and plaintive voice of thoroughgood who now and then spoke to her when lady horatia howard turning to her bade her remark that in the opposite box had just entered lady castlenorth and her daughter celestina instantly saw them and as instantly concluded that willoughby's conduct towards her was owing to his being on the point of marriage with miss fitzhaman she had hardly felt her heart sink under this cruel idea before willoughby himself appeared and lady castlenorth making room for him he sat down between her and her daughter a look from the penetrating eyes of lady horatia howard made celestina turn away her head but she then met the anxious and inquiring eyes of montague thoroughgood and again sought refuge in looking towards the pit hardly knowing where she was and not daring again to trust herself with the sight of the group placed immediately opposite to her willoughby saw her not and after a while her eyes in despite of the pain she felt sought him again his countenance did not wear expressions of bridal felicity he was she thought paler and thinner than the night before and on his brow some corrosive sorrow seemed to hang but miss fitzhaman gay and animated talked to him incessantly and both she and her mother endeavoured to engross his attention by a flow of conversation he listened to them but celestina fancied with more politeness than pleasure he smiled but she thought his smiles were the smiles of complacence and not of content still however his appearance in public with them was enough to convince her that his marriage was not far off her heart sunk at this sad certainty for though she had long since endeavoured to wean her mind from the hopes of ever being his she had still too keen recollections of that time when it was the first wish of both their hearts and she was prepossessed with an idea she hardly knew why that with miss fitzhaman he would be miserable that they had been parted by the artifice of lady castlenorth she now more than ever suspected but how willoughby could be cheated into such a belief and if he was why he should entirely throw off as a relation her home as the chosen mistress of his heart he had so fondly cherished she could not comprehend or could she in any way reconcile his conduct 
with that manly and liberated spirit which he had so eminently marked his character as she gazed on his face as on that of a stranger the husband of miss fitzhaman that face which she had been accustomed to contemplate with so much tenderness and when she considered that lost to her forever she now dared no longer to look up to him as a friend whom she had once hoped to find through life her fond and generous protector her reflections to become too bitter and had she not feared that her going out would have attracted his eyes towards her and known that montague thoroughgood would have attended her which she desired to avoid she would have returned home for her sufferings were almost insupportable she hoped however to escape without his seeing her and shrunk back as much as she could pretending that her headache made the light particularly uneasy to her montague thoroughgood though knowing too well the real source of her uneasiness was yet anxious as she was that willoughby might not see her and favoured her concealment as much as he could towards the end of the opera however willoughby who seemed very weary of his seat left it to speak to somebody he saw in the pit celestina saw him very near the box where she sat and became so faint that she was afraid she must have sunk from her seat but her suffering still increased when a moment afterwards mr howard who sat next to her called to him and got up to speak to him in answering his question willoughby turned towards him his eyes immediately fell on celestina and montague thoroughgood close beside her an expression of mingled anger and scorn rose instantly in his countenance he abruptly broke off his conversation with mr howard and walked away in a moment celestina saw him rejoin lady castlenorth and miss fitzhaman she saw him affect to enter into conversation with them but that it was all effort his eyes once or twice were turned towards her but immediately withdrawn as if they had met a bast lisk and after a very few minutes she saw by his manner that he complained of the heat of the house pleaded indisposition and left them celestina overwhelmed with sensations too much to be borne began to think the opera never would end and that lady horatia who saw her distress had never before had so little compassion at length it was finished and that as montague thoroughgood handed her to the coach she besought him not to stay supper if lady horatia should ask him for i must in that case stay you know to entertain you and really i am so unwell that it is cruelty to expect it of me gratified by the power of obeying her even when her wishes were contrary to his own and full hope that this last struggle between her lingering love for willoughby and the certainty of his having left her for another would terminate his own favour thoroughgood promised to be coolly governed by her and took his leave at the door 
well celestina said lady hiroshia as soon as they were alone you are now i think convinced that willoughby is like most other men capricious and unfeeling what was his conduct to-night but the most insulting that it was possible to assume and after receiving a letter too from you which you confess was couched in the tenderest and most submissive terms which as a gentleman he ought to have answered had you never had any claim whatever upon him i hope and believe however that such conduct will have the happiest effect that of weaning you for ever from that excessive partiality which from early prejudice you always appear to me to think it merit to cherish if he quitted you as he pretended on account of the doubts raised in his mind by the sorceress lady castlenorth why does he not those doubts being now certainties own you as his sister and become your protector as relation why if they are not ascertained does he poorly shrink from the inquiry and invade under such paltry pretences the engagements which you would surely release him from if told that he no longer wishes to accomplish them celestina tried to speak but could not articulate and lady hiroshia whose indignation against willoughby seemed to increase by indulgence went on let me conjure you then my dear celestina to exert that large share of reason with which you are endowed and expelling from your mind all that has passed try to look forward to happier prospects to prospects unclouded by doubt and undarkened by the gloomy apprehensions of being despised by the family of your husband and of being reproached as having embarrassed his fortune time and reason the assiduous tenderness of a man who really adores you will conquer all remains of regret and you will by degrees learn to think of willoughby and of all the events of your early life with the most perfect indifference celestina thought that was impossible but altogether unable to enter into the argument she could only sigh and in a tremendous voice entreat to be permitted to retire saying that in the morning she should have she hoped more resolution and have got the better of the agitation of her spirits sleep however refused to visit her the image of willoughby cruel and capricious as he was incessantly haunted her having been long used to study his countenance she understood all his expressions and when she had courage to fix her eyes on him during the opera no turn of it escaped her all the comfort she could derive to herself from those observations was believing that his attention to miss fitzhaman was forced and that the solicitude with which she herself was avoided arose rather from some remains of tenderness than from total indifference surely said she 
if he felt nothing for me he would not fly from me but treat me with polite indifference or with that candor and openness of heart which used to be so natural to him he would avow his designs and give reasons for them for he knows that be his intentions or motives what may play i shall never reproach him but whatever i may feel for myself rejoice if he can find happiness thus the real affection of heart for willoughby counteracted the effect of that native pride and dignity of soul which under other circumstances would have supported her and even of his quitting her without finding that unanswerable reason for it which was supposed to exist she thought rather in sorrow than in anger the morning came and uninteresting to her she expected nothing but a repetition of common irksome occurrences with the suspense and misery of not hearing from willoughby lady horatia's remonstrance montague thoroughgood's silence but assiduous attendance company whom she wished not to see or parties abroad that could afford her no pleasure the day and another and another wore away and still no letter from willoughby arrived the forlorn hope which she had till now fondly cherished that he still retained a lingering preference for her in his heart now faded away and an almost certain conviction succeeded that he not only quitted her for ever but disclaimed her even as a friend and gave her up in silent contempt without either offering her the protection of a relation or feeling for the regret which the loss of a pleasant acquaintance would once she thought have given him she repented she had concealed the letter she had written from lady horatia howard and while she was conscious that she ought to have no reserve towards her she felt that in her present anxious state of suspense it would be some consolation to talk it over with her friend but far from soothing her with hope and attempting to account for the silent neglect of willoughby by any means that might palliate its cruelty lady horatia exhorted her more earnestly than, than ever to call off her thoughts from a man who was considered in every light so unworthy to possess them and she urged more earnestly than she had ever done her wishes that the tender and generous attachment of montague thoroughgood might be immediately rewarded though to the necessity of giving herself to another celestina could by no means agree yet she felt that she must either learn to think with more calmness of her eternal separation from willoughby or sink under it for such pain as the undecided wretchedness of the last two or three days had given her human nature could not long sustain she promised lady horatia that she would endeavour to regain her tranquillity but besought her for a day or two to excuse her from mixing with company and that in the meantime nothing might be said to montague thoroughgood to give him more encouragement than he had already received 
from the looks of willoughby when she had seen her with him and from his present disdainful silence she supposed he believed her engaged to him and either resented her for having entered into such an engagement without consulting him or still felt some pain in believing she had given herself to another of which she could not help owning there was every appearance from their being so frequently together and from the report which had gone forth which her protectress had not only left uncontradicted but had rather encouraged of montague thoroughgood therefore she now thought with concern and disquiet as being partially the cause of the uneasiness she suffered from the certainty which every hour in its flight confirmed that willoughby had taken leave of her for ever end of the third volume end of volume three chapter ten recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c